0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. We're just going to jump right in today. And Church, you need your Bibles today. So pull out your Bible, pull it out on your phone or your device, because we're going to read a lot of awesome Scripture. You know, and I... Um, I get the honour today of speaking about Deborah and I've titled my sermon today, What Deborah Did. Because Deborah, she's a remarkable woman in the Bible. Put your hands up if you know her story. Sometimes they get a bit lost in the Old Testament and today we're really gonna unpack the story of Deborah but you know, if Hollywood did a thriller on Deborah, it would be awesome. Think Braveheart style. It's got all the aspects of a great underdog movie So I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the story of Deborah. So we've got the Israelites and they are distressed and they're completely oppressed. They've got nothing. And there's this powerful country, the Canaanites, and they are oppressing them. And they have this fierce commander of the army, Sisera, and their army is full of chariots. It says there's 900 chariots fitted with iron. And the Israelite army is decimated. I mean, they probably don't even have many spears between them. But, it's always a but, God raises up this unlikely hero in this woman named Deborah. And with this, you know, William Wallace style stirring call, she calls the commander of the Israelite army and she says, Go, because God is going to deliver this mighty Canaanite army into your hands. And so they go, and here they are, the Israelites. So they're standing on top of this mountain with their bedraggled army, and they're looking down on this mighty Canaanite army. And Barak, the commander of the Israelites, says go and they start to advance down the mountain and at that point you get the divine intervention and scholars say whether there was a massive rainstorm or or the river just swelled up. Something happens and it completely bogs the entire chariots and the entire army of the Canaanites are completely confused and they scatter and they start running and you can imagine the Israelites charging down that mountain and they're saying, yes, for God and for Israel, and they completely decimate the army. But the story doesn't finish there because out the back, Sisera, he escapes and he runs and he thinks he's finding ally in this um, In a tent, he's finding refuge and he goes into this tent and there's this unlikely woman. And she picks up a tent peg and a hammer. It's that story. Tent peg and a hammer, drives it through his skull, kills the commander of the army. Barak, the Israelite commander, comes along and she says, look, your enemy's been defeated. And then they go on to overthrow King Jabin of Canaan and uh, the Israelites are set free. So it's an incredible story. It would have everything you could imagine. And I was thinking as I was reading, you know, sometimes we read Old Testament stories like that. We read them for their entertainment value, but we don't actually look at the context that they're in and the entire revolutionary story that's happening all around it, that this little story and this woman plays an integral part in. And when we do that, we miss the heart of what God's got. this story for us. So we're going to really unpack Deborah today. So I'm going to help you find it. It's in Judges. So to find it in Judges, you're going to need to know your history. So we're going to go past Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, because that's the story of Moses leading the Israelites. And then we're going to go past Joshua, which is when he conquered the promised land. He took the Israelites into the promised land. And this is where we find Judges. And it comes before the Israelites had kings. So before King Saul and King David, we're sitting in that period of history. So we find our Israelites in a promised land. But if you read the first couple of chapters of Judges, you realise very quickly that they are not in prosperity and they are not in a good place and they're not in this land that they dreamt about for so long and that God had talked to them and said, I'm taking you to this land of milk and honey, it's going to be amazing. But instead we find a very different story. So in Judges, we're going to start in chapter 2, and we're going to read Judges 2, 10 to 11. Now, it will be up on the screen. So it says, After that whole generation, which is Joshua's generation, had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Now Baal was the supreme god of the Canaanites and then they had many other gods as well. And we've got to ask the question, how could they follow God and see his miracles and now we find them in Judges and they're worshipping the god of Canaan? And if again, you've read the context of Judges and you flick back. You'll remember God gave very explicit instructions to the Israelites through Moses, through Joshua. He said, when you go and you conquer the promised land, drive out all the inhabitants, because if you don't, you will mingle with them, you will intermarry with them, and you will serve their gods. And what we find in chapter 1 is it's going through the conquest of the promised land for us, and it's talking about the tribes that are each driving out the people that were in the land. But after every single tribe, we read things like, The Benjamites, however, did not drive out, but Manasseh did not drive out, nor did Ephraim drive out, nor did Zebulun drive out, nor did Asher drive out. They did not drive them out. Every single tribe conquered their land, but they did not drive out the inhabitants of the land. And God didn't say that to be a mean and a horrible God. God said that because he loved his people so much and he wanted them to stay true to their one true God. And so we find them in this place. You know, you don't wake up one morning and suddenly find yourself worshipping Baal. Little by little by little, there's this compromise and you end up in this place so far from the culture that God originally intended for you. And so this is where we find Deborah. She's in one of these cycles. And so Deborah's story is in chapter 4. And it says, chapter 4, 1 to 3, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. Ehud was one of the previous judges. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harisheth Haggim. Don't judge me on my pronunciation today, there's a lot of words. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now this is what we find in the period of Judges. It is this devastating cycle of there is peace, then there's rebellion, then there's oppression, then there's distress, and they cry out to God for help. God miraculously raises up a deliverer. He does a miraculous thing through the deliverer and frees the Israelites. They have peace, and then it starts all over again. It is a very depressing book to read if you read it from start to finish. And you've got to wonder why is it in here in this period of history, and God, what are you teaching us through this? Now in Judges 5, 6 to 7, it tells us what it was like in those days. It says, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. It's such a bleak picture. People couldn't go from A to B. They had to take these winding paths to try and hide, to try and find safety, you know. They were living in this culture that was so far from God's plan, and they were being oppressed by this religious system, by a political system, governmental. They'd lost their freedoms. There would have been this overwhelming social pressure to conform. But Deborah, and this is what Deborah did. I wanted to spend some time talking about the context, because this is the context that Deborah is in. But Deborah understood the times that she was in. Now, the culture around her is screaming one thing to her. It's, it's telling her that, you know, they're so far from God and there is no hope of ever returning to what they had. That's what the culture is saying. But we see that Deborah was different because she's not looking at things from down here. She's not looking at what she can see, but Deborah is looking in a con- entirely different realm. And we find Deborah, she arises in verse 4. We see, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinom from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon river and give him into your hands. Now we can read that and go oh that's a that's a nice little story there. But that is an incredible thing to have happened in the context that Deborah was in. You know, all the way along, I get this kind of idea that the Israelites are complaining and they they can't see anything past their own situations. But there's Deborah and she's listening to God. And Deborah hasn't been defeated. She's not looking at the place that they're in and thinking there's no hope. Deborah instead knew God's story. It says she was a prophet and it says that she was leading Israel at the time, she was helping to resolve their disputes, but a judge in those times was was not somebody as in a judge that we would think of today that only um, resolved disputes, but it was somebody who was a leader and a deliverer of the people at that time. And so Deborah was listening to God and looking at what was happening in the context of the times that she lived in, and I kind of wonder whether she was thinking or having a conversation with God about... God, when are you going to do it? What are you going to do? I know that you have said that you love your people, that you have made a covenant with your Israel, and you have said that you will never allow them to be wiped out. So God, what are you doing in this time? When are you going to come through? And when are you going to deliver my people? Deborah understood the times. And in the midst of this context, she summons this commander of the army and she declares because she hears a word from God and he says, now, this is what I'm doing, act in it. And Deborah is immediately obedient and she goes and she acts out the word of God. You know, Pastor Ryan spoke last week that Daniel wasn't a revolutionary as the world might expect. And I was thinking about this because if you compared Daniel to Deborah, They were both revolutionaries in the kingdom of God, but they are completely different in the way that they outworked their revolution. So you've got Daniel and he submitted to a kingdom and he demonstrated the power of God within that kingdom. But you've got Deborah, on the other hand, taking an army and completely overthrowing a kingdom and demonstrating the power of God through the defeat that way. They are both revolutionaries in God's kingdom, but the different, the thing about them was that they understood the times and they understood that church, it's God's revolution. It's not our revolution. It's not what we want to see happen, but it's God's. And from the beginning of time to now and stretching on from beyond us, He is outworking a revolution even though you might see freedoms being taken away now and you might see that the world is getting worse and worse and God, where are you? He is right in the middle of it, church. He is in control and He is weaving this incredible revolution through everything that we find. And if His people would understand the times and be attentive to His Word, He will tell you, now, do this. This is how you act. This is what I want you to do. Sometimes it might be in the submission and the love. Sometimes it might be in standing up and fighting for what is right. But you have to know what God is doing. Because if we don't, then we go it alone. You know, Church, our world is an incredible state of sin and darkness, and you might be sitting there saying, "What revolution?" Make no mistake, there is a revolution, because our world needs a revolution, and it's not a forcible take-over-the-world-type revolution. It's a revolution of people's hearts. It is a revolution of love, but also, it is not a passive revolution. Even though we are people of love and grace and truth and kindness, we are not people that are called to shrink back and not do anything. God has got places for us to act out this revolution. And you know, we can look at the Israelites and we can criticise them and say, oh my gosh, how did they not know? Look at this cycle again and again and again. But church, did you know the Israelites did not have the Holy Spirit living within them? And they did not have... This word of God that tells us from beginning to end what he is doing. I can't help but think if we're going to judge the Israelites, then we've got to look at ourselves. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Every single one of us. This is not just up to leaders or people that are really good with God. You all have the Holy Spirit living in you if you have accepted Christ into your life and He will speak to you if you are listening to Him. And you have this Word of God that tells us exactly what He is doing and exactly what we are called to do. You know, it tells us how to live as revolutionaries. It warns us the very things to stay away from. Make no mistake, we are so like the Israelites in our culture just one step of sin at a time, and we end up in this place where we don't even see the revolution anymore. And we don't even see that we're revolutionaries. That's how quickly we can get swept up in a culture of just living and existing and not being who God has created us to be. You know, in 1 Chronicles 12, 23, I I love this, that it talked about, it says, these are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord said. And then down in verse 32, it says from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now, this was the period of Saul and of David and, and it was this time that God said now. Now's the time. David's an incredible example of understanding the times. Now's the time. And here are these men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I kind of love that if you read in Judges that Issachar is one of the tribes that joined with Barak to go and defeat King Jabin. I think they were men who understood the times and knew what they should do. And church, we are called to be men and women who understand the times and know what we should do. That was Deborah's example to us. That is what Deborah did. And because she did that, she was right in the position to act when God said now. Now, what else did Deborah do? You know, Deborah is remembered as a revolutionary and her leadership just dramatically changed everything for the Israelites. It changed their attitudes, it changed their religious following, it, it brought them back to God, it completely reformed their social world, and but I can't help but read this question and ask, can't help but read the story, sorry, and ask the question, how? How on earth did Deborah end up being a judge and a prophet in this time of history? If you think about the cultural context that she was in, women were not in leadership roles, whether they be spiritual leadership roles or governmental leadership roles, and yet we find Deborah in both of them. It is amazing. And how did it actually happen? What was it about Deborah? So Deborah is the only female judge listed in the Book of Judges. She is only one of five prophetesses in the Bible. And some commentaries will even go to say, and she did not have any significant male relationships that got her to any type of leadership that we know of that's actually listed in the Bible. And then remember in verse six, I mean, we just read it, but she summons the commander of the army and he comes to her and she tells him what to do and he says that she's not, he's not going to go without her when we read on. So how? How on earth is a woman in this time actually being able to do this? It's one of these questions we need to ask when we're reading the stories of the Old Testament because God has something in that for us. And I want to propose to you, church, that the reason that Deborah did what she did was because she didn't define herself according to the cultural and the social norms that she was in, but she defined herself according to who God said that she was. She knew who she was in his kingdom, and because of that, she knew who she was in the world that she found herself in. There is no way that she could have risen to the positions that she was if she did not believe that that's who God had her to be, and she was not obedient with the things that God would have put in front of her. And if you think about what Deborah would have had to overcome, I mean, imagine a woman today rising to that level of leadership in the Middle East context. Don't think that Deborah just ended up being handed it on a silver platter because God said that that's who she was and everything just went sweetly for her. I mean, we don't read a lot about We don't find a lot in here about Deborah. She's already the prophetess and she's already the judge. But I've got to put it to you that I think she would have faced ridicule. I don't think she would have had a huge amount of support. She would have faced this choice again and again. Is this who God has called me to be? And can I step and be into this role? She would have faced the same experiences, the same doubts, and the same things that we face when we get a glimpse of who God actually calls us to be. But Deborah chose to live by another definition. Church, as I was preparing this message, I really felt that there was something in it today about not being the label that the world puts on you and to have your eyes awoken to the fact that you are a revolutionary. And Pastor Janet spoke to me this morning and she said that she had this sense from God that he was just here saying, I see you. And I see you, and I see you, and I'm pleased with you. So church, every single one of you, from my little seven-year-old daughter down here to the Gaties that steadfastly come week in, week out, everyone in between, you are a revolutionary. That is who God created you to be. And you have to define yourself by who he said. And I kind of felt that as I was going to be saying this today, there was, I saw walls flying up. And I saw previously soft hearts that are just being encased by fortresses. It was like you had me until now, Mel. That's all very well and good, but you don't know what I've walked. And I'm here to say God does. And it's real. And it's taken its toll. But neither is freedom impossible. And that's what God has for you. And he sees the things that has got you to where you are. But He wants to release you and free you. So I actually just want you to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray. God, I just want to pray for those here today that find themselves having walls coming out. When you speak to their hearts about who they are, when you tell them that they are more than what they see, that they are more than what the world says, that they are more than what their experiences have told them, God, I pray that you would be with them, comfort them, Give them your compassion and your mercy, God, but rise up something in their heart that says enough is enough and the walls have to come down. Enemy, I declare that you are broken in the name of Jesus and you will not steal these people any longer for they are sealed with the seal of heaven. They are your children and they are released and they are free in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, I pray. I want to encourage you that if something's in your heart today about that, Don't do that alone. The enemy will come in and tell you that what happened today or that stirring you felt is not real. Get alongside someone. You need to find some accountability in that. Come and speak to a pastor. That's what we love doing. Talk to a trusted friend. Go and speak to a leader and start a journey of freedom because you are not defined by the world. And what Deborah did was she defined herself by the culture of God by what he said that she was. And because of that, she was in this position that she was able to outwork this incredible revolution. You know, her conviction in God was so strong and she made a choice again and again to live by that conviction of what God said. And that's why we find Deborah, this amazing woman in this amazing story. But here's the great thing. Deborah was a revolutionary, but it wasn't only her. You know, we're going to read some more of the story, and I want to propose to you that a revolution is not really a revolution with only one person, usually. It takes a tribe of revolutionaries to come behind a leader and to actually outwork a revolution. And that is what is remarkable about Deborah, because she didn't only have a revolution in her own heart, but she sparked this revolution in others around her and that is what won this victory for the Israelites. So this is a common verse, you know, if you've ever read anything about Deborah, poor old Barak gets a real hard go because in verse eight, so Deborah has summoned him over and said, come, we are going to go and defeat the Canaanite army. And he says to her, Barak said, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And you know, again, we can be really quick to judge Barak here. But before we do, if you flick your Bibles, this is why we need to read Scripture from beginning to end, because you need to see all the connections that are in here. But if you read Hebrews 12, what's Hebrews 12? What's it famous for? It's like the Hall of Faith. And guess who's in there? No. Barak. If you read in Hebrews 12, verse 32, they're listing all the people in the hall of faith. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. That is Barak. He is written in the Bible as someone who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness and obtained promises. This is the same Barak in verse 8 who said to Deborah, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. And then if you read, we're going to read some more of the story because don't stop there. Don't pull out a theology from one verse without reading the end of the story. So we're going to flick back to Judges. So back in Judges and we're going to pick it up at verse 9. So Deborah says, Certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Gadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Aphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Now he is starting to do something there. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tea in Zananim near Kadesh. And when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abonim, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned all these people to the Kishon River and all his men in his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now pay attention to this bit. So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him and at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled. Barak has been activated as a revolutionary from verse 8 to right up here to verse 14 when it says he's the one that went. Deborah didn't fight into battle. He's the one who went into battle leading 10,000 men behind him, remember, down the mountain towards an entirely undefeatable army in chariots fitted with iron and all they've got is probably some sticks and some spears. That is Barak leading that mighty army. You know, and You might say, oh, well, there was divine intervention, but if you read in 15, it says at Barak's advance, God routed. Barak had to move before the divine intervention came. So leaders, you are called to be a revolutionary, but not to do it alone. You are actually called to spark the revolution in others around you. And now you might be sitting here saying, well, I'm not a leader, so I get off. Well, here we get to the 10th peg bit. You've been waiting for it, and she is your revolutionary as well. So it says from verse 16 that Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hagasheth and all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. But Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family Heber the Kenite. Now, you need to note there that this is Jael, the wife of the man who just went and told Sisera that the Israelite armies were coming. Okay, so she is the wife of basically the guy who sells out Israel. And it says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. And if someone else comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But, JL, Heber's wife, I think God put that in there to remind you again that she's, this is the guy that sold out the Israelites, picked up a tent peg and a hammer And went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then Barat came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Now, I've got a, this is one of those odd of God stories. I go, Really, God? A tent peg and a hammer? Really? Like, what is this in the Bible? And I've never really looked into it much further until I have to preach on it. And I go, Why? Why a tent peg and a hammer? But you know. What God's showing us in JL. Do you know she has I think even probably has more scripture than Deborah actually gets in this part of the Bible. She did not lead an army. She did not rally any troops. She did not make any inspiring speeches but it says that she won the battle for the Israelites because she defeated Sisera, the commander of the army, and with the Canaanite army without a commander, they were then decimated and they were overcome and King Jabin surrendered and the Israelites win the battle. Jael did the exact same thing that Deborah did. She understood the times, she knew who she was, and she won a revolution. Now, You've got to think about it from Jael's point of view. She is about to go against her husband and her entire family and everything that keeps her safe to defeat somebody that she's not even, she doesn't have an alliance with the Israelites anymore. Barak, the commander of the army, could come along and just take her out like that because he could just think that she's part of the, the enemies, which she was, they had aligned themselves. But she, she understands the times And she knows what she had to do. And because of that, she is remembered just as much as Deborah and just as much as Barak as being a revolutionary. Now, I could keep going on with examples and examples because all of the tribes of Israel that came and joined with Barak are remembered as being revolutionaries as well. But the story of Deborah Church teaches us just how important it is that when we understand the times and when we know who we are in God, And when we spark the revolution in others or we respond to the call of the leaders who are calling us to revolution, then we will outwork this incredible revolution that God is currently outworking. He is outworking this incredible revolution of love. He is wanting every single person in this world to know Him and you know Him and you have the very thing that they need and He is showing you opportunities to say now, do this, say this, speak out, join together, He will tell you exactly what it is that He's wanting you to do. We all have a part to play church. You know, I've been reading this book by Bobby Houston and it's called Stay the Path and I love this quote in it. It says, The world is in need of many things, peace, hope, discernment, answers, But what this complex and wonderful world needs is a global church full of genuine Christ followers who have an ear to His Spirit, ears that can hear the prophetic heart of God for His people. Church, we need to be a people that have an ear to His Spirit. Don't look at all the things that are happening around you. Listen to His Spirit because He is telling you something. And He is showing you the plan that He is outworking. And you all have an incredible part to play. You know, I actually think we live in one of the most exciting times. We're in these times where God is going to pour out His miraculous presence. He's going to pour out His Spirit upon us. We're going to prophesy. We're going to dream miraculous dreams. We're going to see floods and floods of people come into His Kingdom. Church, if we're awake and we're listening for it, you will be a part of it, every single one of you. Can I encourage you about that? And for some of you sitting here today, you might say, well, I don't know this God and I don't know this revolution. But something might be sparking in your heart to get to know Him because He loves you and you have always been a part of His revolution. He just wants you to come and join the team and to say yes and to accept the fact that when His Son Jesus died on a cross for you, that that gave you freedom It gave you eternal life and it set you on this whole new path where you are on this side of love, incredible love. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.